it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 45. Andrew and I are going to continue our conversation about back to basics with stocks. And tonight's topic is going to be stocks versus other investment options. So Andrew and I are going to talk a little bit about some crypto, maybe a little gold, maybe a little real estate. We'll just kind of give a brief overlay of those ideas and then talk about how those could be good or bad investments for you versus stocks. So, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and take it away and we'll just chat away. Yeah, I feel like with every episode we do, we keep saying we're going back to the basics. And now I want to take another step back and let's go back to the basics again. And let's talk about, even before we we jump into stocks, let's talk about investing in general. And so... Once you've made that decision that you want to invest money and put it to work, make these dollars work for you to make more money and to be able to to start this this compounding that's going to create hopefully massive wealth for you in the future, create future income streams. Before we do all that, you have to take a step back and understand that there's a lot of different places that you can put your money, a lot of different ways you can make it work for you. Some of them are going to be good, and and some of them will do better than others in certain time periods. And some of them will be better for a certain type of individual, uh, and and a different type will be be better for a different type of individual. So it really all depends, and and it's uh, really, really subjective. I think it's, it's a great place to start, and you definitely want to know what all the options are, because if you're going to jump into the finance world, and it doesn't matter if you're going to become a complete DIY, you know, live and breathe the markets type of investor, or if you're going to be somebody who's just going to be completely passive, either of those approaches will work really well. But you're going to want to have this understanding of of these type of basics. These are what the options are. And then from there, you can focus your energy towards a specific strategy and, and find one that fits your personality, maybe fits not only how you understand what maybe stuff that interests you and just fits into your whole philosophy and kind of the values you have behind your money and behind how you want to see that money put to work. So we talked about stocks, obviously the first two episodes of this back to the basics series. Let's look at some of the other options that you have when it comes to investing your money. I think at the core of investments and this isn't any sort of historical fact or anything but i want to bet that if you go back to the beginning of time when 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 people were bartering and and before money really became a thing uh, i really believe that maybe that first step of of getting money and making it into a sort of investment vehicle was probably like a personal loan and so that's kind of a real simple and easy way to think about investing your money. Obviously, the banks do that, right, where 
we'll put our money or we'll borrow money from the bank. They will charge us interest. They will use that interest as profit and they can compound that for themselves to make more profits, loan out more money, collect more interest. As investors, we have that same option. Today, there's actually more options than there was maybe 10 years ago. They have what's called like P2P lending. There's a couple different websites you can go on. I think Lending is it Lending Tree or I think it's Lending Tree. Yeah, I think it's Lending Tree. Obviously, I don't use it. Um, it's neither. <laughs> it's tough because you. It's going to be really hard to to do individual research, and and there's a high risk for you losing. For example, if a, if you loan out some money and the person go, uh, defaults on the loan, and, and then you're out of that money, it, it, it's there's a reason why banks are what they are, and why they have you know credit checks and and these these requirements for people to take out loans. And so if you want to become like a bank, you can definitely do that. And I think there's probably like a risk reward premium there, but it's, it's kind of like a different thing. Kind of the, the, the one I wanted to talk about, which is similar to kind of loaning your money out to somebody is buying bonds. Uh, so basically when a corporation, a public corporation wants to borrow money, one of the, first ways that they'll do it is, is they'll issue bonds. And so what that is, and even, you know, even the, the government, the U.S. government does this, and they have their treasury bonds and, and all those vehicles. Basically, you, when you buy a bond, you're giving them cash, and then they're going to pay you a coupon. And what that coupon is is interest. And so in the same way that a loan, somebody would... Um, pay you loan payments and pay that back with interest. You, you get that as a bondholder and depending on the type of bond, some of them you'll see they'll return all your money to you at the end of the duration and they'll add the interest on to the end. So while you don't get the money in these increments as time goes on, you just get it as a lump sum at the end. Some of them do pay, I think like a coupon uh, and it works like a dividend and, and, you get your principal back at the end too. So what's cool about bonds is it's very similar to stocks has kind of diff. It's, it's kind of harder as far as getting in as an individual investor, but it's great way to take advantage of being part of what these big companies and corporations are doing while not necessarily having as much risk or volatility as a stock. The thing to, to understand about bonds is, in the very worst case scenario, if a company goes bankrupt, the bondholders always get paid first, and then the shareholders will get any sort of leftovers, if there are any leftovers from a company liquidating and selling their assets. So bonds, bondholders get the priority in that sense, and a bond isn't subject to what the crowd thinks of a stock. So you know, if all of a sudden people hate some stock, like, for example, BP, when, when they had the oil spill in 2010, everybody hated it. And, you know, obviously environmentalists and everybody like that kind of jumped on the, bam, the bandwagon. And it's, it's just not good for, for the perception of that company. So a lot of stockholders ended up selling. While there was some sort of adverse effect to the business, it wasn't as great in the long term. And so what was nice about being a bondholder during that time is that you didn't see the price go down like the stock would because it doesn't matter. As long as the company is solvent, you're going to get your bond payments as a bondholder. So kind of like another option, and Dave's actually the resident expert over here on bonds compared to me, <laughs> but it's it's a cool option to have as an investor and a lot of, especially as you get closer to retirement, it's, it's a great way to, to lower your risk, give yourself more of, you know, nothing's guaranteed, obviously, but give yourself more of a guaranteed type return and a lower chance of losing your capital. And bonds are really, really great way to do that. I agree. And, you know, the, the, 
One of the cool things about Bonds is there are, you know, Andrew and I are not necessarily always the biggest fans of ETFs, but there are index funds or ETFs out there that you can get some bond exposure if you're nervous about the market. One of the things that you notice when, and this is something that will come up again and again with the different assets that we're talking about today, when the stock market is in free fall, you'll see a lot of people invest in bonds because of the nature of how they work and the lower, much lower volatility that you'll see in them than you will in stocks. Now, it doesn't mean that the prices of bonds doesn't move. It does. But you're not going to see the wild, dramatic swings or the huge blowouts that you can see in the stock market just because, as a general rule, they are not something that the individual will invest in like you will in a stock. You know, you won't see people doing a mad dash out to buy the debt of IBM like you will for somebody to go out and buy Facebook. It's just, it's not the same kind of thing. And it's also not quite as sexy. Uh, you know, the amount of money that you can make with bonds is less than you can with stocks. There's not as great. There's not as much upside, I guess is the best way of putting it. The investability of them, as far as the range of money you can make and lose is much more narrow than it will be with a stock. So, you know, there's a lot of great advantages to them. There is much less volatility. They're generally safe and secure. You can buy all ranges of bonds. Uh, there are, you know, bonds that are rated, you know, AAA, which there are, I believe there's only two companies right now out there that are of that quality. And one is Microsoft and the other one is Johnson & Johnson. But you can all go all the way to, you know, the junk bond uh, range, which is going to be extremely volatile, extremely risky. You know, those are companies that, you know, right now Tesla, frankly, is junk bond worthy. Uh, they were trying to raise some money and they issued some bonds and they were rated as a junk bond, which means that there's a lot of volatility and a very, very large chance of bankruptcy. And that's how the credit ratings work with bonds. But, you know, they're a great asset class if you're closer to retirement. They are much more stable than stocks are. And they're a great way to make some additional income with a dividend or the coupon that Andrew was referring to. You know, that's a that's a great way for you to kind of segue into from maybe a dividend-paying stock is segueing into buying some bonds. Now, when you go out to try to buy bonds, they can be a little more challenging to try to buy. Most of your brokers, including Ally Invest, you can buy them through there, but they're a little bit harder to do research on. And some of the suggestions I've gotten from people I've talked to or read about online is looking at index funds or ETFs of bonds because then you'll get a basket of them and you don't have to worry about doing the individual research on them. Generally, people, when they're investing in bonds, will have a, it'll be a much smaller portion of their portfolio. Uh, the theory behind how bonds can help you as you get closer to retirement is you may have more of your portfolio. Let's say that you're young like Andrew. You could have a portfolio of, you know, I don't know, say 85% stocks and 15% bonds, just as an example. And as you get closer to retirement, you could slide that over to being maybe 60% bonds and 40% stock market. So, you know, you can do all these different things with all these different asset classes and you don't have to go 100% in on one particular thing. It really kind of depends on your risk profile and really what you're trying to do with your portfolio. And that's going to apply to all the different, you know, asset classes that we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, and if you want to see like a quick example of that, just pull up any bond fund and look at the ETF ticker and look back maybe 10 years on the, on the price history. I can't remember which bond fund I was looking at, but I remember it was like from 19 to 21 was the range. So we're not, you know, with it, it's not, 10%, 10% difference over, over 10 years. It's you're, you're basically investing for that, that yield and then the not, not for any sort of capital appreciation. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a thing about the yield that, that just to kind of quickly mention, when you're talking about the yield, that's really, you know, the amount of money that you're going to make from the bond. And the greater the volatility or the greater the risk of the bond, generally the higher the yield is going to be. So, you know, the safest, most you know, conservative bonds you can look at are going to be U.S. Treasury bonds. And those are going to be, you know, very, very small, you know, half a percent, one percent, 
2%, you know, on the great end. But, you know, if you look at a junk bond, it could be 10, 15% that you could make from that, from that bond. But again, you're also, you know, how, how, how much stomach can you take of the volatility of it? So that's really the kind of the, the key to that. Yeah. Well, if, look at what the mortgage backed securities and all that fun stuff when, when we have the crisis and you see what happens with junk bonds and oh, the market yes. collapses. It's not pretty. Not at all. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. So, like I said, we got bonds. That's a great option. Uh, You can look into peer-to-peer if that's kind of more your deal. That's the idea of lending money to somebody in order to make profits and, and make interest and grow your money in that way, invest your money in that way. Another way to do it, uh, another type of asset class is real estate. This is an obvious good one, obviously, because for one, there's only so much land to go around. So you can think about the money when when you have something that's constant, such as how much lands around, uh, money can inflate, deflate, and I don't want to get too complicated with the whole inflation deflation thing, but it is something to consider, especially when you're talking about any sort of asset, really. Um, and it, it's a big reason why crypto and and some precious metals and, and things like that can be favorable investments, but. Real estate tends to increase with real estate has historically been a way for people to grow their wealth. Um, a lot of investors, institutional and regular investors have grown their wealth in that way. The only thing I'll, I'll really say, because I'm obviously not an expert on it, is I would be weary if, if it's a path you want to take is A, be weary of the guys who pound the table about using leverage. And, you know, leverage is a great thing when it comes to science. 
you can use leverage to make yourself much stronger than you would be without leverage because you can use a tool and, and leverage it. And, and, and that's something that it feels like a free thing, right? Like a free lunch from the world that you can use leverage. So a lot of real estate gurus will kind of talk about leverage and, and talk about making money by, by borrowing it from other people. And it's really a dangerous path to go down because it works great when you have tenants, if you're doing the whole cash flow thing. It works great when the economy is booming. It works great when the real estate market is cruising up. And it works great when interest rates stay low. But that, that's talking about when it works great. When things don't work great, that's when you can get into big problems and, and you could potentially go into bankruptcy. Uh, there's a lot of documented cases of even public guys who, who've gone through bankruptcy because of real estate investing. And even though they might be successful today, you know, it's, it's not, I, I'm, I'll bet you it's not something they recommend that to, for the average person to go through a bankruptcy. So that's something to keep in mind. And any debt that you own, that's, that's going to be, you're going to have to pay that back regardless of if your real estate values all crash by 50%, 75%, you're still going to owe what, what that initial part was, even though it's not worth nearly as much today. So keep that in mind. The second thing I'll say about real estate investing is it's not, it is definitely not a passive sort of investment. So a lot of the investments, well, pretty much uh, every investment we're talking about in this episode today is going to be a very passive in the sense that the most manual labor kind of work that you'll have to do is, is maybe log into a broker, maybe call a bank, drive to a bank, um, and you know move some money around, and it's all relatively painless. When it comes to real estate, you have to keep in mind that you're going to have to figure out maintenance of your properties. And if that means hiring like a managing team, that's great. But keep in mind that now they're a big part and a big responsibility of your money. And so either you're going to have to do a lot of work to make sure you're vetting for the right team, or you're going to have to do a lot of super supervisation to make sure they're doing their job. So I think it's, for the type of person that likes to gravitate towards it, it can be really great. And obviously there's a lot of money to be made there, but there's a couple things to keep in mind. And I think those are the big ones that can maybe save you a lot of heartache. If, if real estate investing is, is something you want to shoot for. I agree. And it's, you know, the thing about real estate is there is much more effort into it than there is if you want to buy bonds, for example, or buy a stock. There just there just is. And depending on what type of real estate investment you have, whether it's, you know, like Andrew was saying, you have rental properties, those are gonna be, you know, very intensive as far as you know, your effort that is going to be. And if you have land, you're going to have to, you know, work with somebody to try to help develop it. And that way you can gather rents from that. So there are, there are different things that are going to be involved in it. And for some people that is the way to go and they love it. And they, you know, they're into the whole renting, you know, having places that they can rent and flipping houses and, you know, all the different aspects of it. You know, there's just, there's a whole world out there in the real estate world. And it's just something that I just have chosen not to delve into because it falls out outside of my circle of competence. It just, you know, <laughs> frankly does. And, you know, if this is something that you're interested in, but you don't really want to go that full route, you also have the opportunity looking at REITs, which is something that we discussed in a previous episode. And those are another asset class that you could explore if you wanted to have some exposure to real estate without having maybe some of the headaches that Andrew and I were talking about. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Obviously, too, if you know anything about buying and selling a property, it's not going to be as liquid as, you know, liquidity. That's a huge thing, and it's a big buzzword when you talk about real estate versus other investments. With a stock, you are basically completely liquid. Um, 
assuming the broker doesn't close for the day, which they have done before, but it's pretty rare. When it comes to real estate, you have to find a buyer and, and, you know, find a realtor and that can take weeks or months. So that's another potential downside. You don't have that liquidity. Uh, Don't expect to see that money for a while and, and hopefully you can live without it. The last thing I'll say, if you want to do some real like basic or elementary research on, on real estate and kind of how that market works. There's a database, which I like to use for a lot of different economic indicators. It's called Fred. Um, some it's, it's a government website where they have just all this really valuable data about the economy and, and all these sorts of things. So you can go on there and for example, I, I like in the past, I've liked to look at different markets and see how their real estate prices have moved. And so, for example, if you look at Austin, Austin, Texas, it's funny to look at theirs compared to you can look at the whole U.S. Uh, market. And so obviously we had the recession and the crash for the U.S., but for Austin, it just continued even through 2008, 2009. It's like just a straight line up. So, you know, that they have this saying in, in real estate that real estate always rises, right? Well, I mean, it's quick to look at a chart, look at the U.S., chart and look at how prices have been in the last 50 years and you can see that's not the case you can pull up a chart like detroit and you can see that (laughs) where the prices are today it's clearly not always going up and and it's been a terrible place to invest in in recently so these are some kind of basic things that you can use to get started and i would just say that to tread very carefully because there's a lot of charlatans and a lot of people who are going to tell you that you can make a lot of money. And I think really with any investment, but especially with real estate, I would go with like a time-tested, proven source of information, somebody who's maybe more of a boring type of source of information, but but somebody who, who can show you how to do it over the long run and keep keep sustainability and consistency as more important than greed. And I think that's probably the best way to do it. I agree. That's they're very good points. So moving on from real estate, let's talk a little bit about precious metals. Uh, precious metals would be something like gold, silver, copper, any uranium, any of those kinds of things would be considered precious metals. And this is an asset class that's been around, you know, for since time, began and you know people have found gold as a something of value and they've used it to barter they've used it to trade it was at one point you know the actual money of different civilizations so you know it's always had a place in our society and you know there's all different kinds of realms and ways you can go at looking at gold uh the value of it uh you know I've heard different conversations about gold, about whether it's actually an asset or whether it's, you know, an investable thing or not. You know, I'll admit I am not an expert in gold. I I obviously know what it is, but I don't personally have any of my own. And I've worked with people in the bank that were big investors in gold, and they would have gold bars, you know, brought to them, and then they would, you know, hoard them in different places. And that's how they held their gold. And then I've also heard of you know they they would tell me about different companies that you could buy gold from but you never actually had it it was not a physical thing that you had you just had the rights to gold that somebody else held for you i always found that a little bit shady whether or not that's really not or not but i guess the whole point about gold from what i've been told about it is it's a, a hedge against the you know the currency of the day collapsing and you know if the government ever went out of business and we needed money gold would always be there and it, whenever there's fear in the market that's always one of the places that people flock to is gold or silver as you know a hedge against you know their having some sort of security the prices do fluctuate fairly widely and it can be very volatile um, a lot of people I've read about it 
refer to it more as like a currency as opposed to a hard asset. So it really kind of depends on which route you want to go. I'd be curious to hear what Andrew's thoughts are on, on precious metals. Yeah, well, I mean, you talk about being an asset, right? And so if you think about it in its pure sense, it's literally just a rock. It's just a, a mineral that's that's from this earth, right? So why does it have value? Well, it has value because it's we've all agreed that it has value. And so some days we think it's worth more, some days we think it's worth less. That's why you see the gold price fluctuate. So where real estate gets its value because people are always going to need land, uh, always going to need food, always going to need water, gold's different. It's it's literally just, no, we don't need it. I mean, you, you can put it in electronics and things like that. We wear it for jewelry, obviously. But the primary, basically its, it's utility is the fact that everybody accepts it as some sort of currency. Really, the, the, the true value and the reason why everybody flocks to it during crisis is because it is a safeguard against governments inflating their money. So what happens during a, a crisis and, and a recession is basically the economy contracts and what you have is a lot less money flowing around than what was than what previously happened. So the way that the government will try to combat that is that they will what they call like turn on the printing presses, but basically they'll they'll print more money. And um, it's not always printing money, but, but they also play with the, the federal funds rate and the interest rates and basically throw new money into the economy. And that's, that's a way to stir up the economy, and that's, that's a way to get the economy going again and get that flow of money. More companies, if, if there are lower interest rates, companies are going to borrow more, which means they're going to have more money to hire more people, which means that more people are going to have money because now they have jobs to go spend and it it kind of spirals up spirals down and you have these cycles the problem when the government inflates the government the problem when the government prints money is that the more the, the higher the money supply is the higher the price goes and so that's where we get inflation so if the government were to say you know forget about any sort of common knowledge tomorrow and let's just print like five times more money than we have now, you would essentially see the price of everything kind of 5x, if that makes sense. Because I know it's kind of hard to conceptualize, but basically in, in response to everything that's going on, the companies are forced to raise their prices because, you know, these things don't happen in a vacuum. It all hap- it's all interconnected. And so if the price of, let's take a hamburger, if the price of beef is going to go up, if the price of bread is going to go up, and the price of tomatoes are going to go up, well, that means the price of a hamburger is going to go up. And so it, that's, that's kind of the general, the, the general result of, of companies inflating the currency. Um, so the, the, the way that gold kind of ties into the whole thing is that Governments in different countries won't always inflate their currency in in the same, you know, you see currency move just like every other thing in the market, right? So sometimes the dollar is strong, sometimes it's weak. And if you have something like we saw with, during the global financial crisis where a ton of different com- countries are all inflating their, their currency, well, it's like, okay, well where can I put money where I know it's not becoming less valuable? Because that's what's happening when you're, when the currency is being inflated, when prices are rising, your dollar is becoming worth less instead of being able to buy two hamburgers. Now you can only buy like a half, right? So it's like, where can I put my money where it's not going to lose value as the days go on? The answer to that has been gold because it's a glo- it's globally recognized and, and it's a store of value. So that's why people panic because they think, Oh man, like, all oh, this inflation thing is going crazy. Cost of living is going crazy. The the CPI is going crazy. I need to store money, and and things just don't look good. And and the government's really gonna have to print even more. And and there's just so many so many deficits and all these sorts of things. So they put their money in gold, and they obviously if a ton of people are flooding into gold, it's gonna raise the price up. 
And we saw it have really long bull market for quite a while. And kind of like the way that real estate played out in, in the past 10 years, gold kind of did something similar. And so it, it was another thing where people saw it as like a sure thing investment and, and they saw, okay, well, this is what it's done for 10 years. I expect it to do this for another 10 years. And sure enough, just like anything when it comes to investments, it wasn't reliable and and it didn't happen like that forever. Um, and so we saw that and, and it's one of the risks in buying gold. Obviously, another thing is it's not, whereas putting money into a stock or putting money into a bond, you are investing in a company and that company is creating, it's creating earnings and profits, right? Well, this piece of gold is not doing anything. It's literally just sitting there. So you have to be aware that that's what you're doing. And if, if you want to call that investment or not, uh, I think everybody knows where I stand on that, but um, it is an option. It is a way to like a lot of investment professionals like to say, it's a way to hedge, to hedge against inflation, to hedge again, you know, hedge against currency risk, no matter what country you're in. It's it's definitely a good option for that, and it's it's really a big reason behind its attractiveness and why a lot of people have gone towards it. And whether you want to take that to the next step and, and try to be a gold trader or a gold hoarder or whatever the case may be, though that's kind of the basics that would get you started towards kind of pushing yourself in that direction. Okay. All right, so... We've talked about some of the more, I guess, standard common assets out there. Now we're going to talk about something that's kind of taken the world by storm recently, and that's uh, crypto. So my thoughts on that are, I guess, the easiest way to think of it is there are arguments out there about whether it's a currency, whether it's an asset. You know, I'm, I'm of the ilk of... First of all, I will tell you that I do not know a whole lot about it personally. And when I'm talking about crypto, we're, we're referring to Bitcoin, Ethereum, any of the digital currencies that are out there right now. And everybody in the world is talking about this. I mean, I even have dishwashers at the restaurant that I work at that can barely speak English asking me my opinion on Bitcoin. So it's obviously become a craze. You know, a lot of people argue that it's become a bubble. And, you know, I think that's probably a legitimate thing to think about. And, you know, whether it's an investable asset or not, I guess, is really kind of a it really kind of comes down to what you think about it. You know, my personal opinion is, is that it is not an asset. It is simply a speculation that you can buy or not buy. To me, it's a little bit like investing in the dollar bill. And it's just not really an asset because it's there's nothing behind it. And I guess, you know, maybe I'm old school, but if you can't use it at the grocery store and you can't use it at, you know, McDonald's, is it really a currency? And, you know, at this point, you don't hear anybody talking about actually using it to buy anything. They're all just trying to get in on the greed of it. And, you know, our favorite buddy Warren Buffett always says, you know, be fearful when people are greedy and be greedy when people are fearful. And so, you know, everybody and their brother wants to get on the train of crypto right now because it's the hottest thing out there and everybody's talking about it and it's gone through the roof. But as somebody I was reading earlier said, you know, if you got in on it when it was a dollar or 50 cents, that's a Hall of Fame trade. When you're getting in on it when it's in $24,000 a share, yeah, maybe not so much. And so I kind of agree with them. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not on that train. Uh, I'd be curious to hear what Andrew has to say about it. Yeah. I mean, obviously the big thing of it right now is the potential, right? The potential that it can replace everything and, and become like a one currency that we can all use the potential that it can take away a lot of the government's problems. And again, back to that discussion about, the inflation and all of those things, Bitcoin has a, the way it's designed, it would naturally combat that. There's a lot of, you know, it takes out the middleman with the blockchain and everything like that. There's a lot of positives to it. 
problem is it's it's speculation at this point and what I know I, I like what you said Dave is that if you bought it at a dollar then you know you'd have a Hall of Fame trade problem with thinking about that is you bought at a dollar would you sell at three would you sell at five do you sell at ten you sell at twenty you know, when it went from a dollar to even let's say you, you were in when it was a, like a hundred from a dollar, it had like three years where it crashed 50% and then it, it stayed flat for a while. And then obviously through, I think it picked up again in 2016, 2017. But these are all, I mean, I would be shocked to hear of a group of investors who were either consistently able to time when they were buying and selling to always be in Bitcoin when it was going up or to would have had the, the patience and the fortitude to, would have, to, hold, to hold it through the whole way. And especially the higher you buy that, right? I mean, yeah. just think about the psychology of buying at 100, seeing it drop to 50, and then being flat for like two, three years imagine having a losing trade like that with a significant amount of your money to see it break even again. I I'm betting you'd sell because you're just happy to get your money back after toiling for years. Right. And so, yeah, exactly. That's what can happen. Not only, not only with Bitcoin, not only with gold, not only even with real estate, that's what can happen with any investment and why I believe that, when you're thinking of investments and when you're trying to create a general theme for yourself and the reason why I like stocks so much other than the fact that you're actually putting your money and that that money is actually going to work in the real world and it's not just based on a price that's on a ticker on a screen. It's also the idea that when you're truly investing and, and your money is truly going to work, you're getting paid interest, whether that's in a dividend, a coupon, a yield. That means that the longer you are in, the longer you win. And with stocks, it's historically proven to, to work out really well. Uh, some quick stats before we sign out. Um, obviously, the logic behind stocks is a big reason why I like to invest in them. But also, if you look, if you look at historical returns, you have stocks you know, close to 10% over 100 years. Bonds are around the five to six percentage range, uh, and gold has over a hundred years has has been a couple percentage points below what bonds were, and so while each different asset class has had time periods where it's outperformed the other asset classes, this is something with stocks that it's had a better long run performance, and funny enough a significant portion of returns from stocks have come from dividends that have reinvested. So maybe funny enough or not funny enough because I would, you know, it's a big theme for me and it's something I shoot for. So I'm not really that surprised, but it's just this idea that investing is not a game. It's not something that you're going to throw money in and double your money tomorrow or quadruple your money in a week. If, yeah, you can do that, but that's not sustainable in the slightest because, again, if you want to learn how to, how to invest, no matter what asset class you're doing, look through history. Look at how markets have worked in the past. And even though, yes, we've never seen something like Bitcoin before, we have seen prices move and, and different things be called assets, different things become investments. It, it's it's all market. Markets have always been there, uh, and we just always call them different things. So I like to I like to invest in businesses. I believe businesses will be there tomorrow, ten years, thirty years, fifty years down the line. That's why I that's why I put my money in business because I believe in business, and to me that's what makes stocks superior. 
I agree with you 100%. And I think, you know, investing in stocks, investing in a business that is bringing value to you, the consumer, as well as other parts of the world, I think that's what makes it attractive to me. In, in addition, there are the opportunities for you to do investigation and learn more about what it is you're investing in. And some of the other assets that we were talking about, yes, you can learn as much about real estate as you can. And you can learn as much as you want about gold, but you know the problem with gold is you know it's it's like Andrew said it's a lump of rock, and we've all decided that it's worth something, but it's not something we actually need. Yes, it is used in some you know in wiring for computers and things of that nature, but as a general rule, you know if gold went away, the economy would still function. And so, you know that to me takes away some of the attractiveness of it, and. You know, we were talking when Andrew was talking about crypto. I was thinking about something kind of, you know, Warren Buffett said when he was thinking about investing in something, he looks at it as, you know, he's obviously a long term investor. And when he's considering buying a company, he likes to think of it as what happens if I bought this company and the stock market shut down for 10 years and it opened up again in 10 years, I'd still be happy to own that company. And think about something like Bitcoin, which, you know, right now you can argue whether it has a value or not. I don't want to get into that discussion. But, the you know, if you buy it right now, where do you think it'll be in 10 years? Will it have value to it? And, I you know, we don't know. And to me, that makes it such a risky proposition. And I think that's, to me, where I come back to where stocks can be, you know, a large portion of my portfolio that, makes me comfortable. It helps me sleep at night. And that's really where it comes down to for me is I feel like I have more control over what I'm deciding to buy. And it's not so much of the vagaries of the wind and whoever decides that, hey, this is going to be more valuable today than that. And I think that's where with some of these other assets that we've talked about today, that's where I find me personally not being comfortable with those. And I think that's where stocks to me have a much greater return and you know as andrew just pointed out you know they over the last hundred years it's hard to argue with 10 percent versus five percent versus three percent and those are just those particular three assets you know you talk about other things and it it could change from there and yes you can make more money in the short term but you know as warren buffett said in one of his letters i'm only as rich as when i sell my stock so when people talk about how rich they are from bitcoin that's only if they sell it and that's only if they sell it at the right time or gold at the right time, or a real estate investment at the right time. And so you're only as valuable as when you sell it. And, you know, when you're looking at stocks, you know, you have the ability to look at when the market is going to be falling because of other economic factors, which can help you decide whether you want to sell or hold at that time. So, you know, with something else like a crypto right now, there's really no, it's just the vagaries of whatever the market's deciding. It's not... It's not an asset such that, you know, people decided, oh, it's not worth anything now. Well, anyway, so I could go on and on about that. <laughs> I'll bore everybody to death, so I'll stop. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> Maybe that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say uh, one last thing. Uh, this is from JoshuaKennan.com. He looked at basically 196 years. If you were to put $10,000 into the following asset classes. How much would that ten thousand become after a hundred and ninety six years? If you put a ten thousand into gold, that would become twenty six thousand dollars. That's not a great return. Put it into bonds, it would have been eight million. Put it into stocks, it would have been five point six billion. So it, it seems to be that the long you know, the short term is never reliable, but the longer you go with these time periods the more that stocks tend to outperform everything else. We'll see what happens with Bitcoin and crypto. Honestly, I'm rooting for it. Uh, the market cap is still low enough where it could 10x from here and uh, just to keep up with gold. So I think there's still a lot of potential price movement in Bitcoin. The problem is, even if even if you do sell and, and you know you made 10x your investment or 100x, it's, it's like, now what, right? You go back into Bitcoin or, or what do you do with your money then? Your money is always going to be needing to be put to work somewhere, right? You, you always, the, the, the goal here isn't to make a, a big 
lump of cash. The goal is to have an income stream and have income streams that some of the income streams can support you and some of it can go make more money. That's how you're going to have sustainable long-term financial freedom. So something to keep in mind, definitely great place to start. If, if you're looking into getting into the investment world, definitely try to understand maybe some, some of the, the big picture things here. And then from there, really dive in and get yourself educated. History can teach us so many valuable lessons because markets have been around as long as money's been around. And that's a really, really long time. And, and there's plenty of data out there, especially with the internet. So don't be afraid to get your hands dirty and learn about these things so that when the time comes, you don't have to learn from the school of hard knocks. You can learn and be confident when things go poorly and have the, which will give you the fortitude to be able to stick it out and really let your money kind of cruise through as the markets go up and down. And that's how you'll build wealth. Yep. I agree. And, you know, a, a great quote that I read a while back about history is, you know, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I think that's a, a great way to think about, you know, making sure that you do your research and understand what it is you're getting involved in. Because like Andrew said, it's not a game. And the money that you're investing, you worked hard to earn that and you should make it work hard for you. And that's what we're trying to help people learn how to do. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and say goodnight. And we appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us. Hope you enjoyed our conversation on Back to the Basics and a little bit about different asset classes. And without any further ado, you guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, find some great intrinsic value, and you guys have a great week. We'll talk to you later. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.